reading uh, today is taken from Luke chapter 2. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was government of um, Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She, she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Thanks so much, Carol, and good morning and hello, everyone. Great to be with you. My name is Rich. For those of you who don't know me, I'm going to be leading us through uh, this next part of our time together, continuing our series exploring uh, the theme of Advent. 
And first of all, I wanted to uh, address the kind of jumper-shaped elephant in the room. Um, yes, this is a Christmas sweater vest. Uh, yes, it is part of an extensive collection of Christmas jumpers that I'm very proud to own. Uh, and yes, that collection does get a little bit bigger and a little bit more ostentatious every year. And it's great to enjoy celebrating it with you today. Uh, and so with that out of the way, we're going to crack on <laughs> with exploring. Yes, it's, a, it's not a tank top, it's a sweater vest. <laughs> Just to be clear. Just to be clear. Just to be clear. Great, we are carrying on uh, a series exploring the biblical theme of Advent today. Uh, this is a time in the history of the church season where the church has traditionally taken an opportunity to prepare for Christmas by entering a season of waiting, uh, a season that echoes the waiting of God's people uh, in the Old Testament for the promised Savior, and a season that helps us to reflect now on how we wait, how we live as we wait for Jesus to come and renew and restore all things. And as Adrian unpacked for us last week, uh, that can make it an uncomfortable season at times. And it can make it uncomfortable because it forces us to come face to face with the fact that our world is not how we might want it to be. Our world is full of darkness and difficulty. And so are we. So are our lives. And just as we saw uh, earlier this year in our Sabbath series, how taking a Sabbath is an interruption to our daily routine, how in a world of constant activity, it is uh, an intentional awkwardness to have to stop and rest each week, to plan and prepare to do that. So too, Advent is an interruption to the narrative that tells us that we can have whatever we want, whenever we want it. Missing a Christmas present on Christmas Eve? Amazon Prime it. It'll be here, same day delivery. Advent is an interruption to the relentless positivity of this most wonderful time of the year that permeates everything in our culture. Maybe that's why, as Adrian mentioned earlier, it seems like Christmas is getting off to a slow start this year because more than ever, the world around us seems like a dark place, and we don't quite know how to hold that intention with the joy that we know we should be feeling at this time of the year. But above all, Advent is supremely God's word spoken to us that tells us that he is sufficient for us. He is enough. Not our work, not our successes, not how we feel. God is enough. And anyone who has ever opened an Advent calendar and been disappointed by the size of the chocolate inside or the fact that there might not be any chocolate inside, anyone who's ever experienced that has got a sense of what Advent is actually all about, the whole point. It's not that we are meant to have it all. We're not meant to just crack the whole thing open and go to town on all 24 pieces in there. But in the waiting, in the daily habits and the routines that we cultivate in that season, whether it's something you do when you wake up in the morning or when you come home from work or just before you go to bed, we're training ourselves in patience. We're planting seeds that will bear fruit if only we'll let them. And above all, we are invited to hear God's word over us in this season, that he is enough 
no matter what we're facing and no matter how dark the world seems. And this year, as a church, we have been exploring the theme of home. And that's the lens that we're using to look at Advent and to look at Christmas. Last week, our need for home. Next week, the home that is coming. And this week, home revealed. And we've seen throughout all of them how God invites us to partner with him in building a home that is for all. And that's a home that has these characteristics, a home that welcomes all, that is deeply authentic and shares reality, that is characterized by faith, that's full of joy in the midst of whatever circumstances life brings. A home that is a place of rest, that encourages creativity, that works for justice and mercy, and where we honor one another by seeking to build up rather than tear down. These are the characteristics that we have sought to live with as Oasis that are founded in how God has always sought to build home amongst his people. And this morning, we're going to start by tracing that theme of home through the Bible a little bit in order that it would help us see more clearly what it means that Jesus came and lived amongst us, that he moved into the neighborhood, that he made his home among us. The history of home, his story of making home, and how that is to impact the way we live even now, even as we wait for that home to be fully revealed in all the areas of the world and in all the parts of our lives where it is so desperately needed. We saw in Genesis, right at the start of the year, God creates a home for humanity to enjoy as an overflow of the home that he has always known as Father, Son, and Spirit. And so he creates. He breathes life into the world. He creates a home that overflows with love and rest and provision, but also with purpose and growth. It's not a stately manner with servants running around doing all the hard work. That's not who humanity was made to be. We're not here to wait on God hand and foot as if he needs us for something. No, he has called us up and caught us up into a home where there is meaning and purpose because the work that is to be done is the cultivation and multiplication and expansion of the abundant and generous home that has been made. Humanity is invited to partner with God in the work of ruling and reigning, of bringing order and beauty and life wherever we go. Fill the earth with life and light. But things go wrong, don't they? Humanity decide we want to make our own home away from God. We curve in on ourselves, away from the life-giving goodness and generosity of the Creator. But God doesn't give up on us. He doesn't change his plan. He's always wanted to partner with humanity to build home on the earth. But instead, he does it in a new way. He chooses first an individual, Abraham, and his family, and his nation, Israel and seeks to build home among them in order that they would be a sign of the home that he is inviting all of humanity to come and enjoy. He comes to one 
in order that all might be blessed through them. He illuminates one man, one family, one people, in order that everyone might be drawn to the light that shines on them and might come and know and enjoy that light themselves. And so the story unfolds. One tiny family, one tiny nation, blessed to be a blessing. Not the biggest, the strongest, the richest, or even the most faithful. Time and again, God takes the unlikely. He takes the outcasts, the morally bankrupt, the marginalized, the failures, the strangers, and he chooses them as the instruments by which his goodness and grace is displayed to the world. He chooses things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. As Paul would write later, he chooses things that are powerless to shame those who think they are powerful. And at times, Israel get it right. At times, they seem to build a home that points to something of the life and the welcome that God longs to invite all into. And at times, they get it wrong, turning away from God, away from the life he offers, embracing darkness and destruction and death. They lose the physical home that God's given them. They lose their way, and they lose hope. But right from the start, there had always been the promise that one would come who would truly epitomize the home that God had always intended to create. One who would crush the head of the serpent in defeating evil, who would be a freedom-bringing prophet like Moses, a relationship-restoring priest like Aaron, a righteous ruler like David, and yet one who would surpass all of those one who would be illuminated in order that everyone might be drawn to the light. One who would bring life wherever we went in order that everyone would be drawn to that life to come and receive it. In the past, God comes to one that all might be blessed through them. Now, God comes as one that all might be blessed through him. And that's the announcement. Home is here. That's the announcement we heard in that passage read for us so well by Carol at the start. Home is here in a blaze. Home is here in an announcement of light and life and song that fills the sky. God is doing a new thing, but it's wholly consistent with how he has always revealed himself. He doesn't come to the Emperor Augustus in his palace in Rome. He doesn't come to Quirinius in his kind of administrative center in Syria. He doesn't come to Herod in his local stronghold. He comes into insignificance in a backwater corner of an empire that saw him as barely human, born to a couple whose culture would have shamed them and shunned them. He invites not the rich or the impressive or the powerful to be the first to come to him, but those he has always invited, those he has always delighted to show his goodness through, the outcasts and the strangers, the shepherds, seen as an underclass in society, exiled to the wilderness, outside the cities, outside where all the action 
happens. Living amongst their animals in all the smell and the mess and the earthiness that that entails. And later, the next people to be invited, the Magi, Gentiles, outsiders to God's people, astrologers from a distant land. That's who good news is announced to in a burst at Christmas. Good news of great joy that is for all people. A new thing (coughs) is happening that will fulfill what has always been God's intention to make a home where all are welcome to come and enjoy the life that he offers. And that's what we see right throughout Jesus' ministry. He brings those characteristics of home to everyone that he meets. Wherever he goes, he welcomes everyone. Whether they are a beggar on the street, a Roman centurion, or a paralyzed man lowered through the roof. He chooses as his closest friends, fishermen and teenagers and revolutionaries, and he loves them all, even as they abandon him. He models authenticity, pours out his heart before the Father in the presence of his disciples in the garden as he contemplates the magnitude of the cross. He is unshakable in faith, constantly pointing to the Father and enjoying the loving community of Father and Spirit that he's known for eternity, whether he's on quiet mountainsides in early mornings or in the midst of busy crowds in the hustle and bustle of the day. He is full of joy, even despite the most intense pain and suffering. He turns water into wine to rescue a party at a wedding as a sign of the joy that he holds on to, even as he goes to the cross, that he sets before him, even as he hangs there. He embodies rest. He's the Lord of the Sabbath who comes to bring his people back to the heart of what it is to celebrate a day, enjoying God's goodness and grace, even when doing so gets him into trouble with the authorities of the day. He creates whenever he speaks the eternal word made flesh, creating healing where there is no healing, hope where there is no hope, truth where there is no truth, faith where there is no faith, and even life where there is no life, simply by speaking them into being. He stands relentlessly for truth, for justice and mercy, turning tables at the temple when what was meant to be a sign of God's presence with his people that invited everyone in had been turned into a market that excluded the nations of the world from coming. He brings dignity and honor to those that society looks down on, from the woman who'd been suffering with bleeding for 12 years to the cheating tax collector branded a traitor to his own people. Homes here. That's the announcement made to the shepherds in such a blaze of light. Homes here in the person of Jesus. Homes here, even as his family flee for their lives from a massacre in the first few weeks of his birth. Homes here as God lives as a refugee, 
growing up in a foreign land and eventually settling in a place that people laughed at the idea of producing anything good. Home's here as he feeds the hungry and heals the sick and comforts the broken and welcomes the stranger. Home's here as he's betrayed by a friend, abandoned by his disciples, confronted by rulers and sentenced by cowards. Home is here as he's hung on a cross and left to die, naked and alone. Home's here. And yet, in the very action of our rejection, the very moment in which we plunge the eternal light into darkness and kill the author of life itself, becomes the ultimate act where he accomplishes everything he's always planned. The moment when the curtain in the temple is torn in two and the doors of home are thrown wide open for all to come. It's the moment that declares to all of creation that everything that might separate us from God is brought to an end as Jesus is separated from the Father. That everything that was broken in the fall has been made whole in his broken body. That every part of shame and guilt that we've been carrying is dealt with as the only guiltless man dies in the most shameful way that humanity could invent. And then home's here, bursting into life on Easter morning, the birth of a new creation, inaugurated in the midst of the brokenness of the old, in order that we might know hope, both now and in the future, that God has committed himself to the restoration of this world, and that he has begun that now in and through us. That's the good news that the angels announced and the shepherds flocked to see. Good news for hurting people, broken people, tired people, stressed out people and restless people, and people who think they have it all together, people. Home is here in the person of Jesus, and you are invited to come and receive. No matter what your story has been, you're invited. No matter what you've done, you're invited. No matter what you feel, you're invited. We were made for home. That's always been the design. That's why the desire for home wells up within us. It's what we're always made to know. The invitation is simply to come, to take hold by faith of everything that's already been accomplished and receive it with joy. To be like the shepherds, hearing and responding with a step of faith that takes us to Jesus. You're invited. That's who we're seeking to be together. A people who keep coming to Jesus, keep hearing and receiving his words of love and life spoken over us whether for the first time or the thousandth. That's why we come. That's why we gather. That's why we worship. That's why we hear words like those that Adrian spoke over us. 
that you are delighted in, that God invites you to draw near. And living in this community of Oasis Church, I'm struck more and more by that as we journey together, that as different ones of us are squeezed by sickness and anxiety and weakness, as many of us are at the moment, the more I'm amazed by the strength of kindness and compassion that's shared amongst us. It's the work of God. It's how we know he's right here in our midst. Because when things get dark, the more of Jesus there is that shines out amongst us. You are an amazing people. Do you know that? You are amazing. And it's a privilege to stand alongside you as we learn together to be okay with things not always being neat and tidy. To be okay with messiness and brokenness and tears. To build real relationships that offer genuine comfort. This is home. This is who we're to be together. That's home's hope. It doesn't mean everything is immediately okay. As Adrian sketched out last week, the world is still a dark and difficult place. But the invitation of Advent is to allow the light of Jesus to shine all the more brightly in contrast to that. It might not surprise you to learn that I love Christmas. It's a shocking revelation. The Christmas jumpers have been out for almost a month already. If you visit my house, it looks like someone has basically set up a Christmas decoration shop in our front room. But the reality of our world is that it's not always, and not often, and not for most people, fairy lights and festivity. And it's really important that we reckon with that in order to appreciate the magnitude of what it means that Jesus stepped into that world. Advent is an invitation to spend some time staring down the darkness and allowing ourselves to sit in that uncomfortable place in between Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, which secures our eternal home, and the moment when that home comes and fully fills the earth as the water covers the sea. The power behind all darkness and sickness and injustice and pain has been broken at the cross. What we wait for now is the final fulfillment of that. Just as on D-Day, 75 years ago, it marked the turning point of World War II where the Allies broke the back of the Nazis. that struck a decisive blow against evil, even though the war would rumble on for another year. So too, has the decisive blow against evil and darkness and death been struck at the cross and in the resurrection garden. And what we are to do in the waiting is to push back that darkness a little bit more every day, to live as outposts of home, pointing to the one who's come to bring home for all, 
building that home here amongst us and building it wherever we go in order that we might invite in anyone and everyone who will come. And how we work that out will be different for each of us. And that's the question for us as we leave today. How can we be doing that in our unique situation? What's God already doing where you are? What's he already doing in your workplace, in your home, in your street, in your supermarket? How can you partner with him in revealing home where you are? And how can you seek to extend that home to those outside? Fleming Rutledge writes, it's all a matter of what we are pointing towards. The church responds by doing the works of the light, the ministry to the prisoners, the soup and sandwiches for the hungry, the houses for the low-income families, the birthday parties for the children who have no parties. These are lamps shining in dark places. These are the works that glorify Christ while we wait for him. This is action while waiting. It's not that this is something that we do outside of God. This is what God has always been about. It's what he has supremely begun in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and will supremely finish when he comes again in glory. But that his action invokes our participation as participants in what he is already doing in the world and will one day do finally and for all time. And being here in this building is such a reminder of that. You can't fail to notice behind me the illustration of Matthew chapter 25 in the stained glass window, that we will find Jesus where we always find God, amongst the poor, amongst the hungry, amongst the hurting, amongst the captive. When we think about how we serve the poor, we can easily come with the mindset that we're taking Jesus to those who don't know him, that we're being Jesus to people. And that comes from absolutely the right motivations. But it's exactly the opposite of what Jesus says in that scene. When we serve the poor, the homeless, those who don't have enough, the broken, those who are in need, we find not that we're being Jesus to them, but that they are being Jesus to us. Truly I tell you, Jesus says, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That's where he's to be found, even now. That's why working hard for justice and mercy is one of our key characteristics as a church, because that's where Jesus is. The calling of the church is to place ourselves where God is already at work. To give ourselves in love, to partnering with him, to build home there. And so we build with these characteristics, the same characteristics which Jesus models so beautifully are those we seek to build into our community and our lives. We are a people who believe that Jesus changes everything. And because of that, we give ourselves to living like this. What does that look like for you today? What does it look like for you to give yourself to belonging to a home like this? For many people here today, I know that what that looks like is using every bit of energy you have to just be here. 
And that's okay. You are so welcome. For some of us, it means we give ourselves in the unique position that we're in, in our schools, in our universities, our workplaces, our recoveries, our homes, our streets and our communities to reveal the beauty of that home in new ways, in fresh ways, to reveal the beauty of the one who is its source. And most of the time, it might not look flashy or exciting. It's what Eugene Peterson calls long obedience in the same direction. But in every act of freedom, coming to the captive, healing, coming to the sick, comfort, coming to the hurting, broken people, finding belonging. God is going before us. He's inviting us in to build home there. And every act is a sign that the promise is true, that home has come and is coming. It's an example you can bank on that one day God will set everything to rights. And that's the hope with which we live. We are to be an Advent people, a people who live knowing and enjoying home revealed, knowing and enjoying Jesus in the midst of whatever we are facing in the day-to-day and holding him out to one another as we stand with one another as we do. So go. Go with that big story of home living in your heart Go knowing you're invited to be part of that story, whatever it looks like for you. Go as you work it out in your everyday context as you think about those questions on the screen. Go knowing Jesus, true home. It's for you. It's for you today and every day. And he's enough. He's enough. Can I pray for us? Then we'll leave. Why don't you stand if you're able? Jesus, I thank you that you came and stepped into our world. And you didn't come to palaces and to kings. In fact, the only time you're taken to palaces and to kings is to be sentenced to death. You step into obscurity. You step into brokenness. You step into running for your life when you're only weeks old. You step into poverty and homelessness in order that we might know that whatever we are facing, whatever we are feeling, whatever struggles and battles are going on in our lives, we might know that you are with us. We might know that you are for us. We might know that the God of all creation, the one who breathed life into everything and sustains it in every second, knows what it is like to be broken, knows what we are feeling and knowing and living with. And I pray, Jesus, that during this Advent season, as we prepare for Christmas, as we live in the midst of a nation making its mind up about the way it wants to go, you would come and be revealed more and more 
in the midst of our lives, that we would know you really closely as we stand in the gap between what you have done and what you will do. Jesus, come and have your way amongst us again. Be revealed in and through us as we go.